Greetings. My name is Robin Calamayo and I've been asked to do the message at the Connection this week. And I decided to expand an illustration that Mark Reyes, who is the pastor of the Connection, used in a message that he did a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about the passage where Jacob wrestled with God. So let me read that passage first. This is right before Jacob was to meet with his brother Esau, and he was in great fear about that meeting because of previous events. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, well, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Well, then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God. That's why we say he wrestled with God and with men and have overcome. And then he blessed him there. And while this is a bit of a strange account as far as the dynamic that was going on there, Mark made the observation that when you wrestle with someone, you've got to get in close. You don't wrestle them from a distance. You've got to be right in there with them. And then he used the example of his grandfather, that when he's a little boy, he used to wrestle his grandfather. And he said he always knew going in that he wasn't going to win. But he also knew that his grandfather even though he's going to overpower him, was not going to hurt him. There was no malicious intent. So in that wrestling contest, there was always security going into it. That really struck a chord with me, and I decided I wanted to explore this concept of us wrestling with God. So that's what we're going to do. The first question in my mind would be, okay, Jacob wrestled with God. Does God want us to wrestle with him? Well, if you had asked me that before I was a Christian, I would have just said that is a totally irrelevant question to me. I mean, it's not even on the radar. And here's one reason why. I was writing songs, and I want to read the lyrics to one of my songs. And just listen to how it goes. Fight for light. Fight for right. Fight for sight. Fight to stand. Fight for plan. Fight my own hand. I'll be doggone. Had to change that a little bit. Fight for strength. Fight to think. Fight the brink. Fight to be. Fight to see. Fight constantly. Then I changed a little bit. Fight for friend. Fight his sin. It's funny. I don't know why I would say sin, because I had no concept of it. Fight again and again and again and again and again and again. Well, then I have an instrumental break, and I come back to the lyrics and say, So I'm fighting for light. I'm fighting for right. I'm fighting for sight. I'm fighting to stand. I'm fighting for plan. I'm fighting my own hand. I'll be, you get it. That's how I end the song. What did I name it? The name of the song is Life. I didn't say anything in my lyrics about life. 
But in my pre-Christian days, this is what life became for me. Wrestle with God? I was totally consumed with wrestling with the world, right and wrong, justice, injustice, and wrestling with myself and my own hypocrisy and how I opposed even my own self. I might have ideals, but I violated them to where my own hand was tearing my own self down. So wrestling with God had no relevance. And I couldn't even entertain the thought of wrestling with God or see that even as an option. Looking back on this, I was in a prison of complete darkness and God in his power and his grace and his mercy broke through that darkness and entered in to this young man's thought processes. Several events occurred that shook up that prison that I was in to where I began to search outside myself and of this world system and God came on my radar. But I'm going to gloss over that as far as how he worked with me. But each individual, God has his own way of breaking through. But the question would be, again, does God want us to wrestle with him? Well, let me read you this and then we'll see. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I can't think of a gentler way for God to tell me, boy, you start coming after me, and you need to know from the very beginning, I don't think the way you think, I don't act the way you act, and I don't react the way you react. And if you're going to leave that wide road that leads to destruction and enter through the narrow gate and come on the king's highway, you need to know that I'm going clockwise and you're going counterclockwise. And when these two conflict, only one's going to dominate. So you get on that highway and you can expect contention. You can expect contests. We are going to wrestle with him because we're going to be confronted on our thoughts and on our ways that they're not like his thoughts and like his ways. And his goal is to make us like him. So how does this wrestling then occur? Or what are the arenas, let's put it that way, of the wrestling that we will have God? Three ways I believe we wrestle with God. Intellectually, situationally, and behaviorally. Intellectually, or maybe say philosophically. Have you ever heard something like this? Well, if God is all loving and all powerful, why does he allow all this evil to happen in the world? Or like me, when I started looking into this, I said, what is sin? Is that a concept from God? Or is that just a religious word that religious people have made up to try to make me feel guilty about things and then get money out of me? That's an intellectual argument. Is sin a genuine concept from God, or is it just make-believe? But the Bible is filled with intellectual wrestlings with God. The words of the teacher, son of David, 
king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, vanity, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labor which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises again. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. Like, what's the point? That's an intellectual wrestling. That's Solomon. Jeremiah. You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but far from their hearts. So they'll talk about you, but not in a meaningful way. That's an intellectual argument, wrestling. Jeremiah's having with God. Psalm 73, the psalmist. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to men. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree, and they increase in wealth. Why? Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. And he goes on with his complaint until he sees what their latter end will be. Another intellectual argument might be, why would a perfect God create imperfect beings? That sounds like a pretty good title for an article, which you can find on my website, freelygiven.com. Basically, going back to Adam and Eve, they weren't created perfect. They were created in innocence. And the reason I can say they were not created perfect because before Adam sinned and before Eve was deceived, the discussion that she had with Satan by way of the serpent, she misquoted and misunderstood God's command. And Adam didn't correct her. So they weren't perfect because she either misheard what the command was or misunderstood what Adam told her if he told her or he miscommunicated it. Something got messed up completely before the fall ever occurred and sin ever entered into our realm. So they were created in innocence, but they weren't created perfect. So why would a perfect God create imperfect beings? That's an intellectual struggle. There's other ways we will wrestle with God. I call it situational wrestling. In other words, things happen to us and all of a sudden we are in a struggle with God. Job, my body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering or running. He'd lost his possessions and he'd lost his children. 
He then was struck with boils from head to toe, and this was his condition. So here's part of what he says in this situation. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. A little later, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands? while you smile on the schemes of the wicked. You don't think Job's wrestling with God in his situation? As these friends keep talking to him, they provoke him even more. So a little later he says, All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He made me his target. His archers surround me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys and spills my gall out on the ground. Again and again he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. That's what Job's saying about God in this situation. As his friends kept confronting him, he said, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. So here I am groaning and his hand keeps bearing down. If I only knew where to find him, if I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with his great power? No, he would not press charges against me. There an upright man could present his case before him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he is at work in the north... I don't see him, and when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. I can't find him to confront him. He's nowhere around, and yet he's set me as his target. That's a situational wrestling with God. Paul, in the New Testament, talking to the Corinthians, making a case for why he should be listened to, and he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, he just told them, a bunch of things that had happened that God had done. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so this had to be a great affliction. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And when it says three times he petitioned the Lord, I don't think it was just three little prayers. It was where he besought God on three different occasions to take this thorn away from him. God finally answered him and let him know that the reason for that thorn in the flesh, Paul, is because I've shown you so much, you're going to get conceited thinking you're somebody, and I'm not going to be able to use you. So this is sent to buffet you, to humble you, so that I can use you. And Paul says, okay, I will actually happily take this on. That's a situational wrestling that Paul had with God. 
But then there's also behavioral wrestlings. Here's what I mean by that. When we call on the Lord, we become his child. Well, if any of you have children, you know what I'm going to say. They don't always obey. And it starts early on. The terrible twos learn the word no. Well, we're not any different. The writer of Hebrews was talking to his audience about laying aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. So this sin problem is what he's addressing. And he says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. So we should be wrestling against our sin. But there's times that we decide, no, we're not going to wrestle against it. I'm actually going to justify it in my own mind or continue to do it because I want to. You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every one whom he welcomes as a son. That's an interesting dynamic. The only reason God would discipline, whether it's rebuke or scourge, any of his children is because of sin. God's dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. How much rather shall we be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them or according to their pleasure. In other words, maybe because it bothered them or made them look bad, they would discipline us. But he says, God isn't that way. He disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. Here's what I want to get to. Remember Jacob wrestling with God and his leg got knocked out of socket? Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet in order that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I would call this a behavioral wrestling with God. We decide, nope, we're going to do things the way we want to do it for whatever reasons. And God engages us, but it is for our good because he says, that all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. To get your limb knocked out of socket is not a joyful experience. It's sorrowful. Yet those who have been so trained, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's why when we decide we're going to go opposite of God's way, and he intervenes and says, nope, I'm not going to let you go down that path, we need to yield to whatever it is that he's teaching us and get that limb put back into joint and be healed. See, we will be healed from that contest. Also, we're not going to win that contest. This is an evidence of salvation. If you're sinning and nothing happens, that is an evidence that you're not his, you're illegitimate children, he said. But if you decide that you're going to be pursuing some sin path, God is going to discipline you if you are his just like a father does with any child that he loves the unsaved will get away with it we don't that's why he says if it's with great difficulty that the righteous are scarcely saved what's going to happen to the godless man and the sinner god's not going to let us just go off the way we want to go so that's a behavioral wrestling that 
is part of the Christian experience. I remember one time there was a lady that heard this message about being disciplined by God and she got alarmed because, oh gosh, my life's going so good and everything and I don't know, maybe we aren't God's because there's not any troubles like that. And so she decided to start praying for God's discipline. Um, I don't think that's a very good idea. <laughs> I don't think you ought to do that because uh, it'll come. If you're his, it'll come because we're going to get off track. Now, having said this about wrestling with God, I want to make one other comment. There is another one that we can wrestle with. This is just a little side note. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle or our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God in order that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Now that word for struggle is only used one time in the New Testament and it means wrestle or contend or contest and in the verb form of it it means to spin around or to turn back and forth and so there is this engagement that is a wrestling with these wicked forces. Now the big difference between our wrestling with God or wrestling with Satan. When we wrestle with God, do we put on the full armor of God to go wrestle with him? No. We just go as we are. But when it comes to Satan, we're to have on this full armor. Now, I'm not going to tell you I know exactly all that means. But one way I think we can know that it's wrestling with Satan, he's called the tempter. He wants to get us to sin. Our wrestling with God is to get us out of sin. So that's one way you can tell the difference between who you're fighting, you might say. So does God want us wrestling with him? A couple weeks ago, I was out working, and there was a concrete guy and his wife. And I've seen him several times over the last couple of years, and very conservative, but they aren't Christians. And we started talking, and he just said out of the blue, he said, one thing I don't like is discussing some subject, and then somebody brings out a Bible verse, and then that's the end of the discussion. I don't like that. And I just said, well, it depends if something is authoritative or not. If what the Bible has said is authoritative, then that is the end of the discussion. I said, however, God doesn't call us to God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Paul said we persuade men. And so your arguments that you would have against the Bible's stated position. God's not intimidated by your intellect. He's not intimidated by your arguments. He's not afraid of you. And like he said to the Jews who were opposing him, put me in remembrance or report to me. Let us argue our case together. 
state your cause that you might be proved right. In another place, he said, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forward your strong arguments, the king of Jacob says. So I told him, I said, God is in the business of persuading us that he is correct. There's not some blind obedience just because he said it. And in order to get to that position of being convinced that God is right, his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. We are opposite of him. And there is going to be a struggle or a contention that's going to happen if we're going to align with him. So in conclusion, does God want us to wrestle with him? The answer, I am positive, is yes. We're going to wrestle with him on intellectual things, on situational things. All you got to do is stay alive. And we're going to wrestle with him over behavioral things. But here's the beautiful part. Let's come back to the illustration that Mark Reyes used. Just like him wrestling with his grandfather, Mark knew he wasn't going to win, but he also knew there was safety and security because his grandfather had no malicious intent. God says to you and to me, come into the ring and we're going to wrestle, but you're going to be okay. I've been a Christian since 1977. It is now 2022. I have wrestled with God over big things, and I've wrestled with him over little things. And I can tell you, I don't regret any of the wrestling because of the safety and security of wrestling with one who's going to win every time. But he has no malicious intent towards me, and it's always going to have a good outcome. Being a Christian, there is nothing like this. There's nothing like this. And it's my great hope that you will realize this life is a war zone and you're either going to wrestle with the world and wrestle with yourself in this dark prison or you're going to start wrestling with God. What's the alternative? May God have mercy on us all. I want to thank you for listening. Like I always say, you listen to this material, you're going to learn great and mighty things that you do not know. When you learn these great and mighty things, they always lead to life, and you will indeed live. Doggone it. You know what, Calico, I gotta get you out. Baby, come on. Come on. You're a good kitty, but I gotta get you out. Come on, baby. Come on, let's go.